Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone, welcome to episode 214, that is incorrect, this is actually episode 314 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo, pardon me on that one, episode 314 is here, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to Combo's Court Share this episode, share with a friend, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, share it on your IG stories, and tag me at 1-2-Combo, that's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Okay, okay, we're here, we're here. Thanks for all the feedback from part one of my conversation with Dr. Andy Galpin. Part two is here, can't wait for you all to hear it. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. How much does tempo matter in all this? Well, tempo changes everything. Because, for example, if I did one set of one rep, but that one rep was 25 seconds long, that means I'm going to have to be very light. So it's not going to be strength anymore. Mm. Right. So every there, there are seven modifiable variables. So what that means is there are seven factors, gone variables, that if you modify them, they modify the adaptation you get. So one is volume, how many reps and how many sets. We've sort of been talking about that, right? This many reps does strength, this many reps does mm-hmm. hypertrophy. Second one is intensity. In other words, what percentage of your one rep max? Not intensity of like effort. It's literally percentage of your one rep max. One is rest, and this is the time in between sets or the time in between reps. So volume, intensity, reps um frequency how many times per week do you do it is another one yeah right progression how you progress from week to week to week is another one so you got volume intensity rest um progression do you feel like you have to write it down to know your progression uh yes you have to have some strategy yeah yeah we call this globally periodization so how well, you I understand strategy. I understand strategy in terms of routine, but I'm talking about in terms of results of how much you lifted and yes, yeah, yes, you have yeah. Like if you want to guarantee you get results, you have. To, uh, I mean, it's the same thing with your food, or the same thing with your work, right? You couldn't just yeah. be like I'm just going to work today. Uh, people that just work every day, sometimes some get lucky and get better, but most of them just end up spinning in circles. Right. It would be like if I said, get in the car. All right. Start driving. Okay. Yeah. Any direction you want to start driving. Okay. Cool. Well, I hope we land up at, I hope we land at Walmart. What? Yeah. Well, eventually, if you just start driving enough times every day, you get in the car and drive. Like one of those days, you're going to land at a Walmart. Well, fantastic. The much easier way is to sit down and go, where do we want to go? Walmart. Okay. There's a Walmart right there. Let's drive straight to it. If you never sit down and plot where you're going to go, you're just going to be driving in circles. You have no idea where the hell you're going. So with your clients, you write down the weights that they worked with on that day for every exercise? Oh, we, we, we track everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. You have to be able to look back and be like, okay, last week when I was doing, you know, sets of five, 
I did 55 pounds. Okay, great. If this week I'm trying 55 pounds and I'm getting smoked, okay. Or 55 pounds is super easy and you stay at 55 pounds. That represents no progression. You'll never get stronger. Yeah, yeah, that, definitely. You're going to plateau. Like if you, you have to have what we call progressive overload. So that means either more reps or less rest or more intensity and more difficulty, more range of motion. Mm, um, yeah. Something like that has to progress. So there's, it's a whole, there's a whole, there's a lot of science to this stuff. Um, any trainer can like just work you out, but a real professional guarantees you go into the exact spot, right? Like anyone can get you in a car and drive you around and burn all your gas. But a true pro is going to be able to be like, boom, you need to go here, take a left, take a left, take a right, boom. And then uh, in about six minutes, you'll be right there. That's the difference between somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who doesn't. Okay, so now we'll go, we'll talk about hypertrophy. Yeah. So the hypertrophy, as you're getting a sense then, is just a little bit higher up that range. So if you do things between like eight reps, all the way up to like 20 or 25 reps, anything in that window, as long as you're training to what we call failure. So the muscle has to have three things for hypertrophy. It has to feel the burn in the muscle you want to grow. Or it has to be just a little bit sore. You don't want to get just like crazy ripping sore, but a little bit sore. Um, or it has to have contracted really strongly. So it has to be kind of heavy, it has to burn, or it has to make you a little bit sore. It does not have to have all three. One of those is good enough. So if you do like sets of eight to 10, or you do sets of 10 to 12, or 15 to 20, or 20 to, as long as you're training really hard, all that's going to give you equal amount of hypertrophy. And that's why at the beginning I said it's kind of idiot proof. Because anywhere between like even sets of six to 30 result in the same amount of hypertrophy. So you really can't screw it up. That's interesting. I feel like there are some muscles more prone to, to feeling a burn. Like, I don't know. I never really felt a burn in my lats, but obviously if I felt burn in my biceps, you know? Okay. So that's really good insight. Yeah. When I said a second ago, you have to feel the burn there or it has to get sore or it has to feel a strong contraction. So yeah. have you ever felt the burn in your lats? No, you just said that, right? Yeah. Have your lats ever been sore after a workout? Not really. Cool. To be honest. Okay. This I'm thinking, cool. I mean, I'm trying to think, uh, not, not really. Like, the thing when I think of sore is the hamstrings. Like that has always been sore my whole life when, uh, when for the most part, not always, but you know, not really the yeah. lats though. I can't really think about the lats. Cool. Yeah. Do you ever feel like whenever you're doing any work, you're like, God, my lats are contracting really hard right now? Yeah. I would say that. I would say Maybe so. Maybe a couple of times. Cool. Yeah. I would say that. So you said your hamstrings too. Okay. How about, um, how about your glutes? Do your glutes get really sore as sore as your hamstrings? Yeah. I would say so. I would say okay. so. Maybe not as much as the hamstrings, but definitely felt it in the glutes before. Okay. How about the quads? Not as much as the hamstrings. Not even close. Yeah. Cool. So. Why did, you want to know why that happens? Why? Every single person has slightly different mechanics. Okay. So your arm length is different than mine. Yeah. The length between your shoulder and your elbow is different. The way that you rotate, the way that you execute. So if you do a lat pull down, the position you put your hand, right? So if your hand is facing away from you, if your hand is facing inward, if your hand is neutral, like your thumb is pointing towards your eye, 
this all changes what muscles you're using in the exercise. Right. So if you and I go do a bunch of pull-ups and I wake up and I get a burn while we're training in my lats and I get really sore lats the next day. And you're like, I didn't feel anything. The reason is not because of the difference in the lats. It's because you're pulling upwards using different muscles than I am. So you're maybe using your biceps more or you're using a different back muscle to pull you up. So the reason why your lats have never been sore from the burn is because you don't know how to use them. Or the exercises you're choosing aren't effective at activating the lats for you. So while they may activate the lats for me, because your leverages are different, they don't activate them for you. So we would need to then say, okay, you're not feeling a burn. They're not getting sore at all. We need to find a different pulling exercise that actually gets you some lat activation or the lats will never grow. And that's probably why you've never grown a lot of development. Not that you've probably ever yeah, focused on Yeah, it, not that I really needed that to hoop, but I, yeah. <laughs> well, if we go to the lower body example, it's the same thing, right? So maybe when we do squats, my quads get really sore. And you're like, man, it's always my hamstrings and my glutes. Okay, fine. Well, if I always continue to give you squats because squats are good, you're never going to develop your glutes or you're never going to develop your quads because they, they aren't good quad developers for you. Yeah. So I can't, I, you can't just run around and tell everyone, oh, RDLs are the best exercise or dumbbell bench is, and, and this is another example, right? If you do bench and you're like, man, I never fill it in my pecs. Well, then we need to change the type of, of the, we need to go to a barbell. We need to go to a dumbbell. We need to go to close grip or wider grip. We need to change the angle. It's not the exercise. It's de- always dependent upon the person because our limb lengths are different. So we have, if you're trying to grow your pec and you're never feeling a burn in your pec and you're never getting so in your pec, you have to change the exercises because you're simply not getting activation there. That, that's how it worked, right? Either your front or your shoulders taking over or your triceps taking over. And that could be because your lats are way behind or your pecs are way behind. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be just the range of motion you're going through is enough. Uh, we have to change positions. So a really easy way is if you have a specific muscle you're trying to grow and you're like, man, I want to get this muscle bigger or stronger. And you're not feeling it contract really hard in the workout. It's not getting sore at all. And you're not feeling a burn in that muscle. There's a very strong likelihood it's not doing anything and it's not going to grow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Right. Okay. I, people that follow me on Instagram know I use using kettlebells. I know you'll probably just say it's, it's a tool, but it's something I use really often, especially during the pandemic when I didn't have the gym. Um, what do you feel the benefits are of using kettlebells and how do you feel they are best utilized? Well, first of my answer is what you anticipated. It's a great tool. Yeah. I love dumbbells. I love barbells. I love medicine balls. I love ropes. I love bands. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So again, the highest level, what are you trying to get out of them? Second answer, how to use them best depends on what you're trying to do. Um, But they are, they have, I think for the situation you described, Amazing, right? Um, for people who don't have a tremendous amount of experience, they're very good, right? They're very good. Goblet squats are fantastic. Overhead pressing is great. If you know how to swing and hinge of them, that's great. Single leg stuff, balance stuff, yeah. Um, split squats, all great. Um, they can be used as an activation. They can be used for power. They can be used for hypertrophy a little bit. Not not a tremendous amount. I, I know what you're bit. about to say. I think you can't. Yeah there's a limit of how much weight you could load with it. Yeah. yeah. 
So they're not great for strength development past like a very low level of strength, um, especially for the big muscle groups. Uh, you know, if you got a 200 pound kettlebell, okay, like you can you can do the you know <laughs> right. If you can leg press 600 pounds, and you got a 25 pound kettlebell, okay, you can get a lot of conditioning done. You can do, but you're not going to get strong because it's going to be too light. I guess with a kettlebell, you could get a good bang for your buck, like in a short amount of time, just to get like a workout in. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. You can, you could easily do warm up uh, and do 15 minutes. You can do a six minute circle with kettlebells. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And it's great for that. Yeah. Yeah. We, oh. we use them a ton. I've got a bunch. I use them all the time. So. Well, I know in MMA, um, it's used a lot, right? In that sport. We don't use it a lot with fighters, honestly, okay. pretty rarely. Um, okay. Because they typically have hand and wrist issues. Ah, uh, okay. And it's just, it's not joint friendly like that. It's just a lot of teaching. Um, and they get a lot of work in their sport with body weight or close to body weight. So we tend to hedge the opposite direction. When they go in the weight room, I want them to do something they can't get on the mat, which is really heavy. A lot of rest, extremely heavy. So they're going pretty much plates and barbells, um, some dumbbells, but um, we don't need to do circuits, stuff like that, because they're going to get circuits when they fight. Okay. So they kind of go the opposite direction. It'd be the same for a basketball player. Like I yeah. wouldn't have you in season doing, you know, a tremendous amount of cardio with kettlebells. Just go on the court, play more. Yeah. Like exactly. gonna I mean, look, with, pra- with practice and games, you're going to be getting a lot of that. You know exactly exactly yeah. so you're gonna come to the weight room we're gonna do heavy stuff that you can't yeah. get on the court yeah interesting okay i want to shift to vertical jump training i want to know how would you balance you know uh plyometric work strength mobility and has the thoughts are there any is there anything cutting edge that maybe we've learned in the past few years about vertical jump training yeah it depends on how up-to-date you are or not. Well, so, let, let, tell me the most up-to-date thing that we have learned. That would be great. Um, a couple of things. Okay. You want to get better at jumping high. You have to practice jumping higher. Just like we talked about, right? So if you practice always jumping lower. But it, it, is this act, new? I thought we've always knew that one, right? Again, some people still don't know this. So I don't know how up-to-date you are. Oh, okay, okay. You see what I'm saying? I'm like, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you just like. Yeah, because okay. if you're jumping 40 times in a row, the last 30 reps, you're not jumping at your highest. That's correct. Yeah. Or if you have a band at your waist, like a jump, you remember the old, like the, or not, yeah. old, just like the, any of those things, right? So here's the, I'd say the most up-to-date stuff is if you identify how somebody produces power, okay, then you understand what part of the power curve to train them on that's where you're going to get the most results. So that might be a little bit different for everybody. So if we think about it like this, a vertical jump is an expression of power, meaning it's a lot of force into the ground, right? Basic um, physics laws. You push one way, you get an equal or opposite reaction the other way. So the higher you jump is simply an expression of how much you push into the ground. That's all it is, right? So force production, but there's also a time component because you only have so much time to implement force in the ground before you have to get up. So it's force. How much time do I have? 
and what's the velocity I can achieve? And that's, that's power. So force times velocity is power. Mm-hmm. Work, how much work you did over a certain amount of time is power. Okay. So that being said, people that are really weak will benefit from increasing the force part of the equation. Because now they can produce more force on the ground, they can get up higher. People that are like pretty decently strong, but they're slow, if they practice more in the velocity of the spectrum, they get more benefit because they already produce enough force, they're just too slow. Mm. So if we understand where they're at in that curve, then theoretically you could say, okay, we're going to hedge your training a little bit more towards the velocity side, and but we're going to hedge your training more towards the strength side. You want me to give an example of a tool, a test you can do? Yeah. Okay. So uh, basketball is super easy. I'm going to have you put your hands on your hips. You're going to squat, you know, halfway down or a quarter of the way down. You're not, you're going to stop moving. And whenever you're ready, you're going to jump as high as you can, but you don't get to dip. You don't get to rebound. You just have to go from that static position straight up. Okay. Let's say you jump 20 inches just to give you a number. Okay. Second time, hands on your hip and you get to start in your normal position and you get to dip and jump, whatever your normal dip is. You're obviously going to jump higher the second way, right? Mm-hmm. You get a counter movement. You get to like bounce into it a little bit. Yeah. You get some momentum. Let's say you, yeah. Let's say you jump 25 inches. So there's a five inch difference. Third one, we get to do what to do at the combine. You get to do like a running approach, right? So you get to run a couple lead-in steps, two steps and jump, right? I, I don't remember. What, what's the NBA combine do exactly? Is it like? Two steps and a jump or something. They like that. do all of them. They there's like two or three different jump. There's like vert and then you could run up and then there's yeah right. Yeah. So well, the re- the reason they're doing it is this. So let's say you get to do the running, whatever running you want, and you jump thirty inches. So now you went from twenty inches, twenty five to thirty. All right. Well, if somebody goes like twenty inches on the first one. 30 inches on the second one, 40 inches on the first one. And that tells us the way that they jump 40 inches is when they get a lot of that elastic rebound. When we stop them and we take all the momentum away from them, their vertical jump goes in half, which tells us they're weak. They're not strong. They can't produce force unless they get a rebound, unless they get their rubber bands to snap and react. So they're very, what we call elastic but they're not strong. So that person would probably benefit from just getting stronger. Someone who's the opposite. So say they jumped 20 inches the first time, 22 the second time, and 24. Then it's like, all right, you have no elasticity. We need to practice the elasticity part. We need rebounding. You need to practice more plyometrics. You need to absorb and bounce, absorb and bounce, because your strength is not your limiting factor. Or even if, let's say the case they jumped 38 inches, 48 inches. So their bounce, their total bounce can be the same, right? It can be a good jumper, but it's how are you jumping? That's what, that's why the combine does all these different tests is because they want to look at, okay, are you an elastic jumper? Or are you a muscle jumper? And okay. That tells us then which type of training, more plyometrics or more basic strength training or a combo or what? So that, that's, that's how people are getting, uh, like, especially someone who's like, I went to a jump coach. I did a year, it didn't work. And then I went to this new guy. Two months I was jumping higher. Well, they just they either found out or they got lucky and guess what par that jump spectrum they were on. And then they improved their weakness and that's how they started jumping higher. 
Right. I don't know your thoughts on this, but I would say, and I know what worked for me best. Obviously, I've done all three. My mobility, my plyometric training, and my strength. When I shifted it most towards strength, I would say I got the greatest gains. And I'm assuming a lot of that is, is I'm doing a lot of plyometrics while I play. Bingo. Yeah. And most basketball players are more deficient in strength than they are in balance. Right. So right. basketball players tend to be more responsive to pure strength training. Fighters yeah. are almost the opposite. Yeah. Like even when I remember one time I was out with an injury and I'm like, okay, let me just work on strength. And I came back jumping higher, you know, Yep. because yeah, I was just deficient in that. I was deficient on that side of things. Okay. Before we get out of here, Andy, what are some things that you feel that you might be finding out now that nobody has really thought about maybe like, what is the cutting edge in your studies that you've been like most interested in? I would say. Yeah. I would say the thing that we're burning on the most right now, is the small way to think about it is the gut microbiome. But the, the bigger, more broader context is getting these lab assessments done and getting a hair sample, getting stools, saliva, getting this complete physiological picture. And it, man, it's, it's pretty shocking what we can do to people when we, when we run these full diagnostics and we figure out what's actually going on in your body in the most comprehensive way possible. Um, the way we say it is, uh, you know, good diagnostics, good data, good results. Bad diagnostics, that means you're guessing. That means you get inconsistent or bad results, right? Sometimes it works. Sometimes you don't even know. You're, you're just guessing. So with the new lab stuff we do, man, we just take all the guessing out of it and just everybody gets better, which is ridiculous. So that's the thing we're most excited. Um, and that's what we're focusing on right now is, is, uh, for the folks that have, and like this, is, this stuff matters a lot to them, not just like, hey, I want to jump higher in my rec league. But the people that can put some real dividends behind this, uh, like we can get results. It's just a matter of money. And uh, people that got it, we, we can get you results guaranteed. Okay. Very last thing, Dr. Eddie. What is one thing that you feel athletes aren't focusing on enough in general that could give them a crazy edge? Well, that would be my answer. Uh, I'll give you a different one. Because this isn't for most people, right? They can't afford this stuff. Um, in general, I'd say breathing. Mm. Uh, yeah, like that's that's the one that transcends everybody. And that's the one that almost a huge percentage of the athletes have huge problems breathing. And they have no idea. And it has a massive impact. And it has a massive impact very quickly. So we, I know we're, we're sort of out of time, but uh, I would have people look into a guy named Brian McKenzie okay. and his, his company is called shift shift as in like, you know, change directions, shift direction, shift, adapt, um, or Google those things. And uh, if you want to know about performance, breathing, diagnostics, how to figure out if your breath sucks or whatever, Brian McKenzie and shift adapt and Rob Wilson, that those guys are like, they're elite. So. Dr. Andy, um, thank you so much for taking the time. I could talk to you about this kind of stuff for hours, but before we go, where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Yeah. So Dr. Andy Galpin on uh, Twitter and Instagram, those are the places I pretty much just post, you know, science and performance stuff. That's all I really do. Um, if you want on YouTube, all my classes on strength training, program design, nutrition, all those classes are up on YouTube for free. So you can take 
there's hundreds of hours of all this stuff with graphics and explanations. Like if you want to learn programming for strength, I got like a five minute video on that, I think. And then I got a, like a, maybe like a 55 minute, like a full university class. And like, here's the strength training group. I got it on power, hypertrophy. I got, I don't know, maybe four or five hours on the hypertrophy stuff. Um, it gives you more examples about tempo and range of motion, and playing music or not when you lift, like all this stuff is mm. all up on YouTube. Um, nutrition, we never got to that part of hypertrophy. What to eat, how much, all that stuff is up there for free. Dr. Andy Galpin, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. All right, my man. We'll see you. There it is, part two of my conversation with Dr. Andy Galpin. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. Big thanks to Andy for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and share this episode. Share it on Twitter and tag me at Combo's Court, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Tag me on Instagram and you can get that done in your IG stories. You know what? Take a screenshot of this episode Post it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo. Would greatly appreciate it. Tag me so I could share it. Um, and also follow Dr. Andy Galpin on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Andy Galpin. That's D-R-A-N-D-Y-G-A-L-P-I-N. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combo's Court. If you're listening on the Apple podcast app leave a five-star rating a friendly comment and it is a follow button on the apple podcast app so punch down on that be on the lookout for episode 315 combo out